Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome back to another brand new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and I am again joined in the studio with a good dear friend of mine and uh, a colleague in this movement to educate the masses on Lutheran theology. Um, I'm so blessed to have him back in the studio with me to talk through some very crucial topics that are pressing upon the church today. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to Flame and let you introduce yourself once again. Yes. What's going on, everybody? Uh, My name is Flame, Christian rap artist from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, Some people have called me an artistic theologian. I was like, okay, I I like that. That's Mm. pretty cool. Yeah. But no, I just, I enjoy people and culture and um, connecting the dots between what the scripture says and our regular mundane lives and just sort of helping people process our faith and using rap music to do so so rhythm and poetry that's Mm -hmm. what that's what rap stands for so yeah i really i really see myself as that and that's how i frame my existence Mm -hmm. in the arts so that's really well put i love that we were uh we we met last june and had a conversation on an album you released last year um extra nose and we talked through some of the schematics behind the lord's supper and I thought that was a great conversation. I'm probably going to actually take that episode and re-air it uh, when I get okay. through down the, the series here, because I'm, I'm working through on my show a, a segment on, on baptism, and then I'm going to do a segment on the Lord's Supper. And okay. so I'll probably kind of squeeze that in towards the end as a, you know, trying to come back at it again. I thought it was a great episode. Yeah, so I love that. I love that, bro. So you uh, just came out with a new album uh, just a couple of uh, weeks ago, and uh, you took on a topic that is, um, dare I say, dare I say controversial (laughs) Uh, within the church today. uh, Baptism is a, it's a hot topic and and people get really, really uh, militant in it and it doesn't and it it doesn't really matter what side we fall on yeah we 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 can find ourselves you know digging into the trench and not allowing the breath of fresh air to the other side to to speak to us so uh, i want to talk a little bit 
early on on like your inspiration what drove you behind doing this work this project uh and and some of the things that you've seen you know especially coming out of the calvinist movement we talked about that last time uh, but how did that transform uh, your mind into what you have uh, produced on this album? Yeah, it, it's literally been so it's, it really started just on a personal level, just processing my own journey and in, in my Christian walk and the way Christianity was sort of constructed in my mind was that we were saved by faith through mm-hmm. grace. And I said amen to that. But then the way that they had sanctification positioned in a room, I like to say when you come in a room, you can sort of stub your foot on it because mm-hmm. it's out of place. And that eventually that pain started to it wouldn't it wouldn't go numb. It would just every time I hit that mm-hmm. doctrine being out of place, I felt that pain and it was confusing and it was difficult. So just in sort of a, a desperation um, I did, I just pray to God, Lord, I don't want to leave Christianity, but I don't know how to exist in this space if the weight is on me to constantly show you through my affections and mm-hmm. perfectly aligning my motivations with your heart and your desires. So just that, ter- that sort of internal um, search mm-hmm. for, you know, some accurate <laughs> um, desire to please God that matches his. It was just an awkward thing. And uh, anyway, so the sacraments for me through through discovering Lutheran thought was it, it gave me life. I had mm-hmm. no idea that um, that, yes, I, I, I believe that we were justified by faith, but I didn't know that God also saw fit through the sacraments to reassure us and to comfort us there because the sacraments had been cut off for me so to speak. And they mm-hmm. were only symbols of what Jesus did long ago. Yeah. So, you know, just to talk your head off a little more after finding out that that was not the case. That's when mm-hmm. I said, man, I have to help people the way I've been helped. So I started the extra no series unpacking these things. And um, yeah, that's how we got to baptism today. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we, we've shared a pretty common story, both out of the Calvinist circle and, and I've got friends who are still, you know, entrenched in that school of thought. And that's totally fine. Uh, you know, I got yeah. brothers and sisters across all spectrums of, of the faith yeah. and, and they're, they're wonderful people. Amen. But I'll tell you, when I told them uh, I was going to go to a Lutheran seminary, they <laughs> were like, they, like their hair was on fire. And yeah. it was, it was a crazy, uh, couple of months of trying to work through some stuff because, uh, I was being kind of lobbed, if you would, accusations that were not really founded and, and, and you know, cause it comes from that presuppositional well, Lutheran thought is, is wrong. They hold to some heretical views and, you know, how dare you try to think that the Augsburg confession is, is worth anything. Uh, you should be, you know, focusing on the the Westminster or the 1689 because that's true. And yeah. and so I had a lot of those really intense conversations. But one of the things that really, uh, I think, set this the whole thing in motion was working through the Confessions class and going through the Augsburg Confession, the Book of Concord, line by line, and and just studying and reading it in detail. And and it became such a refreshing mark to me of something that has been lost in the church in terms of the sacraments. And I want to start kind of by throwing this out there because 
one of the things with baptism is this idea that it's heretical to say that baptism saves yeah or baptism possibly can't be regenerative and so they 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 get mad at the lutherans that hold to a baptismal regeneration view of the scripture what are your thoughts and views on that yeah it, that was a that was a problem point for me so i remember when i was first exposed to it it felt eerie because mm-hmm. um you know we've always in a, in a, at least in a reformed baptist camp there was just this heavy emphasis on god's work which yeah. you know is absolutely correct but baptism was not talked about as god's work it was talked about as our first act of obedience it was talked about as you know an outward sign of an inward grace or an inward change or something like that mm-hmm. so to move baptism from that category to um, a, a place where it's a part of the salvific process where God actually uses baptism as a means sounded like heresy. And, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's, again, it's because the way Christianity was framed and shaped throughout my theological journey from the pulpit to the mm-hmm. seminaries and Bible colleges is just, it's just replete throughout that line of thinking. So for me, one of the things that really helped was, going to the passages on baptism mm-hmm. and, and, and seeing what the Bible actually says about baptism. So it's like get a concordance mm-hmm. where it organizes <laughs> um, the Bible topics by words. So you mm-hmm. look up the word baptism yep. and just read through those passages. So it was, it was exercises like that, that at least disarmed me from my you know, mm-hmm. my vehement stance against the Lutheran perspective. Mm-hmm. And once I started to see, and it took a while because I, I, I remember praying like, God, am I a part of a cult? Is this, mm-hmm. am I being tricked? Am I being deceived? <laughs> like there is really a psychological, emotional, spiritual struggle there yeah. because there's so many things tied to your old way of thinking or your, your first framework. So to, to relinquish that takes a lot. It's not yeah. an easy thing to do because you've built your life around this. You've built your family structure around this. Perhaps your career or your ministry is built around these ideas. So it's a lot at stake to sort of shift. But if you can see it in the scriptures, mm-hmm. and if you can at least ask of yourself to relax your presuppositions, it shouldn't be a threat if you're, if you're saying, let me just see what's in the Bible. And have an open enough mind to at least examine what the Lutherans are saying. If you can mm-hmm. start there, we're not even asking you to, be- to believe it yet. Yeah. Let's just see if what the Bible has to say. That's a good place to start. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. I was watching uh, the interview that you and Lex Lutheran did with Brian Wolfmuller uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought that was fantastic. And one of the lines, I don't know if it was you or Brian that said it was, uh, and, and I, I paraphrased it on, on, on Twitter, but it was something like, uh, if God can make man out of dirt, then he certainly can save man through water. And I thought that was profound, you know, and you guys really started to unpack that kind of premise of God using means and that, and, and I'll tell you, you know, the, the Lutheran people, uh, on Twitter were, you know, all in, they were, oh, this is great. I love this quote. They're retweeting it and that, and yeah. <laughs> and then the, the, the Baptist came around and they were like, how can you think of that? Baptism doesn't say baptism doesn't do anything. 
And yeah. so I put some, some polls out on Instagram and it was focusing on this concept of if, you know, God can deliver means, uh, you know, grace through this means of baptism. How do you handle a text like Acts chapter two thirty eight and thirty nine, First Peter three twenty one, and and so I mean and, and I mean I could have had a laundry list of scripture, yeah that that deal with that, yeah. and I find you know and I'm sure you could equate to this the the thing when it comes to baptism is they try to argue through scripture that's not about baptism, right? Yes, yes, and 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 I I get that because in their minds, even in my mind at one point, mm -hmm. it seems like there's a competition with Jesus or against Jesus. Mm -hmm. So you think of it as something taking the glory from Jesus. And in a Calvinistic construct, that was a, a major concern of Calvin himself, idolatry, this sort of looming fear of things turning into an idol. And that's a biblical appetite, but it can be an expanded and exaggerated appetite if it goes beyond what the text reveals and then it cuts off a good thing. So I think that's sort of the fear is if you highlight baptism, then somehow you're competing with Jesus. So, so I felt like what I thought the goal was, at least one of them in the interview with Brian and Lex was to say, Brian Wolfmuller and Lex Lutheran was to say, how can we at least try our best to articulate that Jesus is using baptism to mm -hmm. deliver what he won on a cross. Mm. And, and, and the thing is that shouldn't be altogether weird because if what Jesus accomplished on a cross is mm -hmm. objective and definitive, it actually happened is real. Yeah. But by nature of it, it doesn't save every human being on a planet. Right. So you have to, you have to access the, the thing that he won mm -hmm. in his ministry on the cross. So how do we access that? And most people will at least admit I became a Christian through a preached sermon yeah. or maybe I read the Bible on my own and I was convicted by the words and I became a Christian. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the goal is to say, okay, good. So you realize that God used a physical means. It was yeah. a, a person, a preacher who used warm breath, saliva to mm -hmm. communicate <laughs> words with sound and they turned sound waves travel. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they hit a person's eardrums. All those are physical, earthly, real things that God used to create faith in your heart, but through physical means. Yeah. So when we say God uses water, it's a parallel reality where God, again, uses a physical means to deliver what Jesus won or accomplished on the cross. Mm. So hopefully that'll sort of help people relax and see, man, I, I do already acknowledge that. I just didn't think of it in those terms. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's perfect. And I keep I keep coming back to this thought on uh, a passage and uh, I think it's John. No, it's not Mark something. I can't I can't recall the, the, the actual passage, but it's when Jesus heals the blind man and he uses mud, but he spits into the mud first. And, yes. and I remember being in class and I, I think it's in the gospel, Mark. I think the, the all of them actually probably talk about it, but the passage in particular that we were looking at was in Mark and it was, it was like an eye opening moment because that really started to show it's like the demonstration of how Christ will use elements to bring salvation. And, and we might think, Oh, well he was just healing that blind man, but that's not what the text is 
the purpose of it. It's, it's that Christ is freeing that man of his sin and he's doing so through his saliva in the mud. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought that was, you know, a, a profound way to read the scripture. Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, when we start to consider these, uh, the hermeneutics of, you know, the Lutheran theology, we can get, uh, you know, we, we definitely have influences from, from all of these uh, camps of thought, whether it's more of a, a, a reformed Calvinist, whether it's the more uh, progressive and liberal Lutheran circle or the more confessional biblical, you know, like Missouri Senate, for instance, uh, you know, wherever we find that there's always influence. And, and I think that we, especially in the Lutheran camp and, and, and not all, but in some of the prominent ones. And I think this is why there's maybe some distaste from Calvinists towards Lutherans in general, because of some of these outlying circles of people. But I, I find that we, especially in the West have just out, you know, outside of the Lutherans and maybe some reformed Presbyterians just kind of have a very low view of the sacraments in general. Mm. And, and I want to kind of pick your brain on, you know, on that kind of process because uh, we, I've been to some mega churches. I've, uh, you know, uh, was a member at one for a number of years. They, they had a semi good view of the sacrament, but it wasn't, you know, like the Lutheran thought. I mean, there's, it's like the Lutherans are just kind of in a category of their own <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then everybody else kind of is stacked to, you know, to, to try and reach it. But, you know, what, you know, let's take some of these mega churches, for this. instance, uh, we've got, you know, all these prosperity preachers and all that, you know, how can we as a church engage with these individuals who are swept away and in, into that thinking that being a Christian is not about what Christ has done for them in terms of salvation, eternal life, but it's what Christ is going to do in terms of, you know, eternal, uh, of uh, temporal wealth and, and prosperity. Yeah. And, and, and under all that, there is no view of the sacrament. It just is, pushed aside? Yeah, that's a great question, bro. I, I, I think it has a lot to do with one, there's a spiritual warfare. There's, mm. there's this reality that God's enemy, the enemy of the church, uh, Satan himself uses all his resources to um, persuade us through, through the old Adam, the, this, mm -hmm. this sinful nature in us that by default, wants to earn salvation. Yeah. That's just, that's, we're hardwired to want to work and to prove that we're worthy. That's how we function in everyday life. So you have to go to work and do a good job mm -hmm. to keep your job, to get your paycheck. Um, if you want accolades at school, you have to work hard, study to mm -hmm. get the grade, to get the accolades. And um, that's just the most natural way we function. So then we, we carry that into our spiritual thinking and, and reality. And that's part of the old Adam in us. And so there's a, there's a supernatural battle that's taking place that we're up against one. And then two, um, on the ground level, there's this, it's this, it's this interesting thing that happens in us that brings us comfort mm -hmm. when we feel like, okay, you give me the rules. Now let me go after them. Mm -hmm. So we feel like if I can have a checklist to see mm -hmm. what God wants, and I can see myself checking the boxes off and that comforts us. So we look to the law for comfort. Yeah. And if, if we can have people to slow down in life, cause everyone's busy, but if, if you could slow down and see 
that um, that that process is happening in so many different ways and so many members on the ground are suffocating underneath the the terrible burden of the law. So yeah. you have people that are getting baptized multiple times. Mm. You have people that have to show up to every conference to get yeah. some new spiritual high. Yeah. You have people that have purchased a bunch of Christian merchandise <laughs> and a bunch of relics mm. and crosses because they have to have something yeah. physical or tangible to cling to to give them the assurance that they're looking for that God has already provided in the sacraments. Mm. So by default, we're already looking for a touch point, a physical touch point outside of us to help us along the way. But we, we've wrongly identified where to go to find that sense of satisfaction. And mm. we don't go to the sacraments. We go to all those other elements. Mm. So if we can at least have people to notice these things in their lives and point it out and say, see, this the thing you're doing here mm-hmm. is a natural appetite that God has placed in us that he's satisfied through Jesus's work delivered to us through means in the sacraments. And here it is in the Bible where God promises to show up here in yeah. this supernatural, miraculous way. Mm-hmm. And if we can, if we can, I feel like, you know, through God's spirit, if we can point those things out and have people to have that sort of aha moment, then maybe they'll see the relevance of it. Cause that's another thing I run into is people hear this and they feel like, why would I add yet another thing to my Christian journey? That's just yeah. another burden. And I say that's because, <clears throat> excuse me, you're conditioned to think of everything as something you're doing, some work that you're performing. Mm-hmm. So that's why when I talk to you about the sacraments, it feels like adding another thing. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm trying to help you flip that on his head and see this is God coming to us mm. with grace and life and immortality and renewal. So that's, I think, the task, but, you know, it's not on us. Prayerfully, yeah. the Holy Spirit will use us to highlight these realities and, and people can receive peace and joy and the oxygen that they need to come back to life from the suffocation of the burden of the law. Mm. Beautifully put. I want to touch on one thing you said in there. Um, yeah. oh, I mean, we, we could probably spend the next hour <laughs> talking about all of that it's a big it, topic man. it is it is <laughs> but you you hit something that i thought was profound because it actually uh started to gain some traction on social media this last week i'm not going to name names um you know my 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 premise is not to put you know throw people under the bus but i want to uh talk about the situation and and what was going on in this and uh there was a young individual i think he was in his 20s um, was born and baptized in a Roman Catholic church. And then he didn't go to church or confirmation or didn't do anything. And then in his early twenties came across this Protestant Calvinist church and, um, was, you know, shell shocked by the gospel and then wanted to recommit his life and be baptized again. And this pastor then, you know, put up this long thing about how, you know, he, his baptism first was invalid in the Roman Catholic church. And, uh, and, and so we are actually doing the right baptism now. And, and so I, I retweeted it and I was like, so what made his baptism invalid? Was it, was it in the Roman Catholic church? I, I, as much as I'm not trying to defend them, they have a pretty high view of baptism of the few things that they're good at. Baptism is one of those. Or is it because he's an infant? And do you say that infants can't have faith? Is it because 
infants can't make that proclamation for themselves. And so I want to really kind of talk a little bit more on, on this concept of infant baptism and, and, and what would justify uh, to make a baptism invalid? Because I think we, we, we get this like, oh, I was baptized in Pentecostal church. Well, that's definitely not a valid baptism. Or I was baptized in Roman Catholic. I hear that all the time. People are like, I come out of the Roman Catholic church, come out of the Roman Catholic. Okay. But why, what makes that invalid? And how does that, you know, and does that go against or with what Paul writes when he makes that proclamation that we believe in one baptism? Yes. Beautiful question, bro. And again, it it strikes at that nerve Mm. where baptism for the generic American church Mm -hmm is this, it's like the reset button for all the mm-hmm. old school people that had a Nintendo. <laughs> when the game freezes and yep. it's acting up, you hit that reset and you take the cartridge mm-hmm. out, you blow in it. Mm-hmm. And that's what baptism is. It's like this reset button that we push when we realize, man, I've fallen off and I'm ready to recommit. I'm ready to get serious about the Lord. So let me mm-hmm. get baptized. And that's how we think of baptism. So people would think a baptism is invalid based upon their works. So yeah. they'll look back and see, man, I have been super hypocritical. I've been, you know, inconsistent with what, you know, what I believe and how I'm living my life. I'm ready to put it into that. Let mm-hmm. me get baptized. So that's mm-hmm. how we think of it. And um, so I think that it's just a sore spot for the generic American church to think of baptism as um, God bringing salvation to us. And then we think, how can an infant who Mm. isn't even um, cognitive in such a way that they can think deeply about their theology and didactically break down what Jesus did for them on a cross. And so we assume because they don't have the mental capacity to articulate that they can't receive gifts, that they can't passively receive something from God. Mm. When in reality, that's the best thing that they can do uh, is to receive. That's what Infants do. Yeah. They receive care from their parents. They receive hugs and kisses and <laughs> diaper changes. That's just, yeah. that's their default. So when God comes to an infant and grants them faith, um, they lay hold of that faith. And we have biblical precedent to believe so. We have uh, Psalm 22, Psalm 71, two beautiful texts that talk about faith of an infant, mm-hmm. either before birth or nursing at their mother's um, breast, that they mm-hmm. had faith and trusted in God. So the, the Bible highlights the reality that infants do believe. And then you yeah. s- skip to the New Testament. You have John the Baptist receiving mm. the Holy Spirit in the womb. Yeah. So this seems to be a reality, uh, a default reality in the text. Uh, mm-hmm. Infants were a part of the old covenant. Yep. Um, the males were circumcised and brought in through that route. So the, 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 the reason why in the scriptures it may not be spelled out in a way we would like it mm-hmm. in this time period is because context, historical background, people already assume infants can be a part of the kingdom. Right. So there's there's already that assumption in the audience. Mm-hmm. Same thing when, when people come to me and they say, the Bible never says that Jesus was God. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it does. But it mm-hmm. says it in a way that the audience knew what was yep. being said. So when yep. Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, mm-hmm. the audience understands, wait, he's claiming to be equal with the father. Yep. Though it doesn't say in the Bible the way we would like it to say, Jesus (laughs) said that he was God. That's what we need. We need that sort of contemporary way of explaining things. 
but you have to get into the skin of the scriptures to see how people heard things and how they communicated. So anyway, all that to say, um, you know, infant baptism is a, is a beautiful reality where God brings faith um, and we trust his word to do so. And we have all these household passages in the yep. scriptures yep. that, that really give precedent for that. And um, so I, I, I've, I've experienced it um, as a sweet thing as of, you know, my move into Lutheran thought. But I do remember mm-hmm. seeing my first infant baptism when I was sort of peeking my mm-hmm. nose into the Lutheran world. It was scary. It was uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I This sounds so, like sort of, you know, weird, but I almost cried because I was mm-hmm. like, this is wrong. Like, this is wrong. <laughs> so I know the emotional yeah. journey that happens for the outside person. Yeah. But again, go to the scriptures. We have that's theology is about nuance and slowing mm-hmm. down. You can't move fast and have these sweeping thoughts yeah. trying to do good Bible and good theology. So yeah. we're just, just asking people, take a deep breath, <laughs> slow down, mm-hmm. and let's and let's move through the text. Yeah, perfect. Um, and, and it's funny because uh four years ago my daughter was born and my wife wanted her baptized, and I was still in this militist calvinist camp i'm like no she shouldn't be baptized she needs to wait yeah and and we, we she finally talked me into it and we, <laughs> we, we got her baptized as an infant amen um and, and then it was like then i started seminary shortly after yeah. and i mean it was like the the paradigm shift the all of that just shatters around me and i'm just thinking I'm like how how awful I would have been had I absolutely utterly refused to baptize my own child. And, you know, that we fast forward to this past year, my son was born in September. Mm, and congrats. so then we go to Reformation Sunday and had him baptized and I got to actually do it. it and, and I'll tell you, there is no more. There's just nothing deeper that a father can do to a son than to be the one to baptize him. Wow. And, and it was like, you know, that whole service, like, I, I still think about it, it as like really just, it was super special to me and being able to be there and do that. Uh, just, you know, I think it creates a different type of bond between the parent, not that, you know, other parents don't get to perform that, but they get to be a part of that. Yeah. And, and I think it's different, you know, as you said, there's, there's so many passages to talk about the whole household being baptized. I mean, we got Lydia Cornelius and we've got all these other groups of people. Uh, and then we, we move right into the early church and, and they continued that same train of thought. And, and you have a song uh, about that. Yeah. And so I want to talk uh, a little bit about that kind of uh, scope, if you would, the early church and their views of baptism. And then I want to shift back into scripture and look at another passage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was one of the things that was so helpful for me was seeing that, okay, I'm hearing the discussion that the Bible makes a case for this. Mm-hmm. And then to undergird that it was, it was encouraging to hear that those who were closer to the disciples, than obviously I am. Mm-hmm. And, and even the reformers, mm-hmm. right. They were, they were maybe one or two centuries removed from Jesus and the disciples walking the earth. And, you know, some were even discipled by John himself Mm. and just discovering that and and reading words from the, either the the apostolic fathers or the the patristic fathers Mm -hmm. discovering that for me was like, wow, I, uh, I had no idea 
that this was a through line mm-hmm. that shows up in church history. But then there's a clear cutoff point where decisions were made to move in a different direction, to no mm-hmm. longer hold true to the things that have been carried throughout church history as it relates to mm-hmm. baptismal regeneration and infant baptism, you know, as a starting point of faith. And just seeing that for me really helped undergird what was already being highlighted from the scriptures, because we do ask ourselves, well, what did the early church think? How did they function? Mm-hmm. You know, you have so many movements within church history where people are trying to rediscover what the Bible was, the Bible days were like, or what yeah. those who were right after the mm-hmm. you know, disciples, how did they live? How did they have liturgy and what did life look like for them? So to track that down and to see the consistency with what Lutherans teach was was really um, it was sort of the silver bullet. I was like, man, um, I can't ignore this. And, and to the, the sort of and I'm not calling anyone else arrogant, but the mm-hmm. arrogance on my own part to say, mm-hmm. who cares what sixteen hundred mm-hmm. years of brothers yeah. and sisters who love the Lord, who have the same Holy Spirit that I do who were reading the scriptures and studying and dealing with the pressures of Greek thought and mm-hmm. all these outside voices attacking Christianity mm-hmm. for them to, to hold true to these realities, to, to inconvenience themselves, to still write things down at high risk at some at this, at this, you know, the risk of losing our own lives at our own convenience in society. How arrogant is it of me to dismiss that in the name of, us contemporary thinkers, we know best. Yeah. And that, it really humbled me. And I had to be confronted with that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting when we go to like the Reformation period and we, 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 if we just start with Luther and then we, we see what he was fighting against and fighting for. And then we go to like the, the Calvinist Reformation when we start to get like John Knox and John Calvin and Zwingli and all these other guys that come out of that. Well, I, and I could be wrong. I know Zwingli's train of thought started to move into more of the Anabaptist position, but Calvin and John Knox and those individuals, yeah. they held to the, in, the infant baptism. Like they didn't discard that. That didn't come for another generation or two down the line when they decided, Oh, we, like you said, we know better. Yeah. We, we need to be more uh, hip and upbeat with the times. And how dare we baptize our babies? But yet this has been a part of the Lutheran thought since its inception. And it's been a part of the church since the time of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a good point. Uh, I'm sorry I cut you off. No, go for it. But now I was thinking that's a great point. It's it 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 also has a lot to do with the movement of the culture. So mainstream society is Mm -hmm. putting pressure on the religious world Mm -hmm. and sort of framing human human life as you know this dynamic between the gods and humans mm-hmm. so as as the development of science and, and modernity and we sort of think we got these more progressive ways of understanding the world where the, the idea was to push out the spookiness the mysticism of the spiritual weird mumbo jumbo <laughs> rhetoric mm-hmm. let's get rid yeah. of that from society and christians were trying to figure out how to exist in that space to hold on to something that it's good from Christianity and the Bible, but mm-hmm. to move along with where the culture was going and that sort of pressure, I think you you do see it show its face with Zwingli, who mm-hmm. you're right. Um, Zwingli and Calvin still 
held to um, infant baptism, but even the shift in it in terms of thinking of it as more so bringing you into a covenant of, of believers, but not necessarily salvific, mm-hmm. sort of you could feel the temptation in that to find the middle grounds. Yeah. Well, how can we go a little bit where the culture is going and, and keep a little bit of what the saints of old gave us? Yeah. You could feel that temptation to try to find some neutral thing, you know, mm-hmm. but Lutherans, I just, man, I, I tip my hat to the Lutheran tradition for, you know, at least the ones who have done so for standing firm saying, I know where culture is moving and these ideas seem dated and weird, mm-hmm. but we're going with what's revealed as opposed to what makes the most sense. Right. And that's why I love Luther's statement, which is we should use logic as a servant and not a master. Yeah. Because if you use logic and reason as a master, it'll push you out of Christianity. It'll yeah. say the virgin birth doesn't make sense. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, let's get, it's let's do away with this thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So I, I love that. It's like, let's use logic because it's a gift from God. Reason mm-hmm. is a gift from God. We need it to function and to make sense of things. But where it demands more of us to, to go against what's revealed in the Bible, we say, whoa, hold up. Mm-hmm. And then we part ways in that sense. Um, yeah. But yeah. Great, great point, bro. Yeah. And I think, you know, to use logic, it really uh, starts to dismantle scripture. And, and in your extra notes album, you made that line of we would attest that the skies will shatter open when he returns, but he can't be present in the bread and wine. And and I'm just like, every time I hear that, I'm just like, man, that's so true. Because it's like, how can we as Christians believe in a virgin birth, yeah. believe that God became flesh? The spoken word became flesh, mm-hmm. born of a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah. lived a perfect life under the law, did not, was not disobedient, was not, you know, did not tra- uh, transgress a law at one ounce, dies a death, and then rises from the grave to then ascend to the right hand of the Father. All of this just doesn't logically make sense. <laughs> Christianity just doesn't logically make sense. Right. And, and then we go to, then we try to, you know, use that logic in, in, in place of the, the abstraction that Christianity really is and say, well, baptism certainly can't save you because you're doing work. And I'm just like, wait a minute, all of this doesn't make sense. Why don't we just go to the text and see what it says? Yeah. And, yeah. and so I want to take um, the latter half of this uh, and, and focus on a couple passages, one being Matthew 28. And I want to, I want to kind of preference it with this. Um, I got into a light debate with somebody online. I just ended up not even responding because it was just nothing but regurgitated rhetoric from them. And they, uh, one of the Lutheran guys had put up something initially as a response to Matthew 28. And, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, Jesus never says go and make disciples, but then only baptize them once they can say the creeds and yada, 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 you know, once they're able to be you know, up to par with what they should know. Mm-hmm. And then this guy comes and just was like going, going off the shoot saying that Matthew 20 is a perfect example of how we are to make disciples and teach them all of these things. And then when they make a proclamation, they can, uh, they can be baptized. Yeah. I think the, the entire world with, if, if that's their view has the entire premise of that passage wrong. And, and, and I, and I think, you know, and I want to be bold in that because I think there's a better and, and, and easier 
way to read that. And so I want to let it, I want to turn it over to you and let you uh, kind of hash out Matthew 28, the great commission for us. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's great. It's interesting too, because so some people they'll say they'll go to an Acts passage where it says to repent and be baptized. Mm-hmm. And then they're, they're sort of hung up on this, the sentence structure. Yeah. The repentance yeah. comes first, then baptism. And, um, you know, and then I'll say, well, amen mm-hmm. to that passage. Yeah. But, but the way you're using it, let's go to the Great Commission, where it yep. says to baptize first, then yep. teach them. So if it's about the order in your argument, now you have a problem. Mm-hmm. But it's not about the order. It's a, it's a, it's a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, the word and there just means along with or also. Yeah. So, so they go together. So the point wouldn't be to try to get in the weeds of, um, you know, making sure a person, uh, at least talking about infants here, making sure the, the, the infant person uh, understands these things in a way we would like to hear them repeated back mm-hmm. as much as the promise. Make disciples by baptizing. And we know from scripture who's doing the baptism. Yeah. When you go to a passage like, just to skip from the Great Commission passage for a second, but if you go to Ephesians 5, mm-hmm. uh, verse 25 and following, where um, Paul's talking about husbands and wives, and then right in there, he wedges in Mm-mm. baptism. And he mm-hmm. says, love your wives like Christ loved the church who gave himself up for her. Then he talks about how he washed us mm-hmm. with water in the word. Then it says he sanctified us. He presents us without spot or blemish. Yeah. And it says that he's doing that work. Yeah. So you take that back to what baptism is, Great Commission. So that's why we baptize our infants, because we believe Jesus's words, mm-hmm. that we make disciples through this baptism, which is real water. Jesus was baptized in real water in a Jordan. Bible says he came up out of the water. Mm-hmm. So that's how we make disciples is real water with God's promise. So, so, you know, in terms of adults, the reason why we even give, um, um, I guess an articulation of what's happening is because they're a cognitive functioning person Mm-mm. who can resist the grace of God, who yeah. can misunderstand what's taking place. For an example, if you were, and this isn't to be disrespectful by any means, but if you were baptized in a Mormon church where the understanding is, yes, they may use the, the terms Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but what those terms are filled with or ideas about there being three separate gods. Yeah. Father is one God. The mm. son is a separate God and the Holy spirit is a third God, but they exist together in some kind of, you know, cahoots and partnership. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a different packaging of ideas in those words that we also use. Mm-hmm. So to this adult, I want them to understand the reality because they can misunderstand it. They don't have that, that childlike innocence there's yeah. this there's this adult sort of bravado that we all carry. So that's why we teach people and help them understand what's taking place. And then praise God that he still saves through his word. So the mm-hmm. person can become a Christian before baptism. We don't deny that. We don't right. say that baptism is the only, only way or the yeah. only means. Mm-hmm. So praise God. They hear the word. They say, I, I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe in a triune God. And God creates faith in them. That, that, that faith is evidence in them saying, amen, I agree, but we still baptize them for the forgiveness of their sins. It still um, binds them together in uh, their walk with God and with the other believers that who bear the name, the triune name as well. And we're all sinners. 
So even though you are a Christian, you still need forgiveness regularly. Jesus taught us yeah. to pray daily for forgiveness. So baptism still brings that forgiveness. It's, he's still saving us. He's still giving us faith to believe. So mm-hmm. if you if you are a Christian and you have not been baptized, I say be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Yep. Amen. Amen. And that's the thing with people. We have this sort of reductionistic idea of what salvation is, where we've mm-hmm. narrowed it down. Because we're so afraid of Roman Catholicism. We're so afraid. It's just this inherited (laughs) beef. Mm -hmm. And most people don't even really know what Rome teaches. They just inherited these angst and feelings from, Mm -hmm. you know, people before us. But you're not even that invested in the fight, really. You know what I'm saying? You don't even really know what. So anyway, the point is, um, be baptized. Yeah. Jesus says it's a gift. Why resist a good thing? If you already have $100 and someone says, hey, I have another $100 for you, no strings attached. Yeah. Amen. Wouldn't you take it? Yeah. Take it. <laughs> Seriously. So uh, I, I, I want to touch on a question. Um, I don't know if we quite answered it thoroughly earlier, but I think it falls along in the lines of what we were just talking about. And, and I want to kind of make sure that people understand the, the kind of construct of baptism, because I want to ask, what are some things that are invalid? How would it, how would a a baptism be deemed not a true biblical sacrament? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would think one would be the, the Mormon example. Mm -hmm. So the, the ideas are off. Um, I would think too. um, I suppose if a person, this, this is where it gets tricky. If a Mm -hmm. person says I was baptized, but I just did it because my mom wanted me to. Or I just mm-hmm. did it because there was social pressure in a room and everybody else was doing it. Yeah. So, so I can understand how they would think that's an invalid baptism mm-hmm. because their heart wasn't in it. A lot of people say, yeah, but here's the, here's the point. The point is, it's not that, um, it's not, it's not that the baptism is invalid because mm-hmm. again, we're arguing that baptism is God's work. Mm-hmm. So if, if you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as understood by Orthodox historic Christianity, yeah. all I would say is return to your baptism. Mm-hmm. So God's promises are, are he's faithful even when we are not, the Bible yep. says. Yep. So God's promises are still true in mm-hmm. there. He still um, delivers in baptism. So if you misunderstood or didn't take seriously what took place in your baptism, but now you do, amen, return and receive the gifts of what God already delivered to you in your baptism. So I think mostly that's where the confusion is, is people Mm -hmm. are still thinking of baptism as their work. So they say, man, I didn't understand it rightly. Now that I do, let me get Mm re-baptized, but you don't have to get re-anything because your baptism is... sufficient because it was God doing the work anyway. Right. right. Just, so just return to that. So those are kind of the things that I think about when I think of an invalid baptism. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you have something in mind when you hear that? Well, I I do. And, and I think you, you provided an answer to this dilemma because I've heard people uh, say, well, their pastor um, then, uh, you know, got fired from their job because of some heinous sin that they committed or Mm. uh you know they found out that their pastor was like a a closet homosexual and then they got you know dismissed from their position and 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 so they try i think it's you know goes down to what you're saying they try to like you know make this about the people involved 
instead of God working. And, and as long as water is paired with God's word and that you are baptized in the name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit with the, you know, historical construct of orthodoxy teaching your baptism is, is perfectly valid. And, yeah. and Paul makes that a very clear statement when he demonstrates to us that we believe in one baptism. It's not only if you made sure that your pastor is going to live out his whole life and not publicly sin, you yeah. know, so you'll never find out whether or not they were heinous sinners or not. Yeah. Realities. We all are, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> public exactly. or not, we, we all have our problems. Sure. Yep. That's like that. I love that. That's a that's a great follow up because Luther says something. I'm gonna paraphrase him mm-hmm. in uh, in a small catechism. You know, if if gold is being worn by a harlot, is it any less valuable? Oh yeah. Is it any? Is it not gold anymore because it's is handled by like a person that's beneath reproach? Yeah. It's still it has the same value. You know, if I if I gave you a hundred dollar bill and it's all balled up and mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying and and sort of you know ugly looking is it still not a hundred dollars that you can cash out mm-hmm. to make a purchase so the point is that the quality of baptism is rooted in god himself yeah you know and doesn't matter who's handling it it could be a person who doesn't even believe what they're telling you it yeah. could be an atheist baptizing you in the name <laughs> of the father son the holy spirit yeah and if you were baptized by that person god is still faithful to himself and what he's doing in baptism Mm-hmm. So you don't have to doubt or fear. Now, I have heard case by case, um, and, and I'm appealing to one of my professors. Mm-hmm. And I would I would even tell a person to talk with their pastor about this. But I have heard that in sort of those gray areas, if a person is overwhelmingly burdened yeah, and they still have a troubled conscience, then they can talk with their pastor about that dynamic mm-hmm. and, and, and to see if it's so marred because there is a case where a hundred dollar bill can be so marred that you can't spend it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, if there's a case where it's so fuzzy and you like, but well, I don't really know what the pastor said, or, mm-hmm. you know, some of those realities that life just presents us with, if it's so gray and you're very confused, you could talk with your pastor about that experience and maybe they will baptize you for the first time. And you may think of it as a rebaptism, but mm-hmm. it may be the case that, your experience was so off and so marred that it was not a baptism. Baptism is given to us for the sake of comfort, yeah. for the sake of assurance. So if you're overwhelmingly confused and don't trust in the quality of it, I wouldn't say doubt it as much as I would say talk with your pastor to sort of get in the weeds of what that was. Mm-hmm. And then you all can go from there. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, final question uh, that I'm going to throw at you. And uh, I'm sure this could be another hour uh, discussion (laughs) on it, but uh, uh, I just, I got done with my church doing a Bible study. We're not done yet. We're going through the book of Romans and we just wrapped up chapter six and uh, chapter seven comes this Sunday. So I'm pretty excited. I don't know if I'll be able to get to, you know, the, the construct of Paul still sinning. But because uh, I'm pretty long winded, so <laughs> you have opinions. But, yeah, <laughs> and we we spent probably three or four sessions on just chapter six. But the 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 focus is being baptized into a death like Christ, mm. and, and and I think uh, if we if we really start to unpack baptism, 
we, we see that Paul really gives us this beautiful reality yeah. of what happens in that moment. What happens in, you know, the, the washing of that water paired with God's word, you are being baptized into a death like Christ. What did Christ do at his death? Forgave sins. So if you're being baptized into that death, those sins are being forgiven in that moment. And so I want to talk a little bit about Romans chapter six. I know I'm sure you can probably go on and go deeper. (laughs) No, that's beautiful, man. I I love the way you said it because that's our, our baptism is in Christ's baptism. Mm -hmm. So everything that Jesus received in his baptism, we receive in ours. So the father speaks from heaven, says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm. Now in our baptism, the father is pleased with us. The Holy Spirit descends upon Christ as a dove. And excuse me, in our baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit. So it's just this beautiful reality where, you know, there's this dying because sometimes water is used to judge. So God judges our sin and his death. So Jesus Mm -hmm. was healed, this sacrifice. um, And then he resurrected. So we're drowned in those waters of baptism in Christ's baptism. We're brought back to life. We're given this new life in Christ because Jesus rose from the grave. He came out of the water. Mm-hmm. So it is with us. And Paul is using this reality to help us understand how we ought to function in our everyday lives. So all of life is repentance. We continue yeah. to live the reality of our baptism where we're constantly being drowned and in, in, in dying to our sin and constantly being reminded that we are alive and being brought alive, you know, to this newness, this reality that. Mm-hmm. Now we're free to love, free to mm-hmm. serve our neighbor. So it's it's one of those things that's um, it's it has an ongoing activity in our lives where God continues that process throughout. And that's why Luther says, "You wake up in the morning, make the sign of the cross in the name mm-hmm. of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where we remember our baptism, where God marked us in a triune name." And that's what Paul is talking about in Romans six. And it's interesting because people have made that a metaphor. They'll just say, you know, we were we were baptized and with Christ and Paul's is speaking of this sort of symbolic thing. Mm-hmm. And then you have to ask yourself, where do you get that from? Mm-hmm. What in this text says that this baptism is not about real water in God's word? Nothing. The word baptism is very clear. There's this through line as to what baptism actually is. As mm-hmm. we talk about the means of grace that God is using to bring people into saving faith. Right. First Peter 3, 21, um, baptism now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a clean mm-hmm. conscience through the resurrection. So it's all based upon Jesus's work where God is delivering salvation through the waters of baptism. So so there's no reason to think Paul is saying anything different than Peter or Jesus yeah. when talking about the same thing, <laughs> baptism. Mm-hmm. So. After that was highlighted to me, I said, man, we really did a good job at reading into the text this this, uh, dehydrated hermeneutic, this Mm -hmm. waterless baptism. We we did a good job in a generic American church of (laughs) reading into the text as opposed to taking the text for what it actually says. And I think uh, that's something that has to be pointed out to us in our context because the Baptist won the day. And yeah. I love my Baptist brothers and sisters, but in terms of how Christianity got to the Americas, you know, the Anabaptists, mm-hmm. then the Baptists, and then the, the, 
the the presbyters. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking about the um, the uh, the Puritans. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. They handed Christianity down in such a way where those realities were talked about differently. Yeah. And that's what we inherited. So it's most natural for us to read Romans six and think, oh, yeah, this is just another symbol. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Go back to see what the earliest saints thought about those passages and, and that passage in particular, those who are closer to the disciples or taught directly by the disciple, John, mm-hmm. uh, I think of Polycarp, I think of Irenaeus mm-hmm. and, and the disciple John, who was the beloved, who had this unique closeness to Jesus. So as you see that close tie with how Romans six was interpreted, you say, I think they're right. And we're wrong in the yeah. generic American way of looking at Romans six. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so I want to be uh, respectable of your time, but I want to maybe throw one last minor question. And Talk, to, think, me. Talk to me. Don't think it'll take too long to, to work through, <laughs> but uh, you know, and I think it kind of goes to what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, with Extra Notes Academy and your podcast, your music and all that. How can we as confessional Lutherans stand and, and preach this to a world that doesn't want to hear it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, my thing is, I think the way it's framed in my mind, I think people do want to hear it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think when it, when, when it hits them, it's, it's hitting a wall of bad ideas, mm-hmm. but the appetite is in there. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, I, I, I feel like if I can, you know, just through words and prayer appeal to people where I know you're looking for this mm-hmm. because I've been in the accountability rooms and I hear the discussion and the fear and the frailty of our human experience. I hear the, the nervousness with, I hear young husbands like, man, am I going to be able to make it and stay pure? I hear wives and their fears and they talk about how they think about the future and their children. So I, I've been in the rooms with leaders and lay leaders and just the average person. And I hear the fear, mm-hmm. the, the lack of assurance. So I know that the appetite is in there and I know you're looking for these things, mm-hmm. but you just have, um, you have misplaced locations to find what you're actually looking for. So I think it's important for Lutherans to um, talk in that part of the experience where people are sort of suffocating and, and what they hear across the pulpit doesn't necessarily scratch that itch or satisfy that. And I like to talk about it in those terms and just help people see on the ground mm-hmm. where you actually would enjoy a healthy biblical understanding of the sacraments. So Mm. I try to find those spaces in the conversation. Like, for example, I was at the gym working out and uh, one of my homies was like, man, bro. He was like, sometimes I just wish I can hear God tell me himself that he's okay with me, that I'm doing a good job. And he wasn't thinking about a conversation about the sacraments at all. He was just having a vulnerable moment. Like, man, I really be trying, bro. Like I really be trying to love my wife and serve my children and be faithful to my church. But sometimes Mm -hmm. I just wonder within myself, am I doing enough? Like, am I really on it the way I should? And, um, you know, I didn't come in with some theological point to make, but my thing was 
you know, one, just as a brother, I see you, bro. Like I, I, I acknowledge you work really hard to serve your family, bro. Like you're killing it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I just brought in and, and that's the beautiful thing about what God does outside of us. He actually mm-hmm. does physically tell us you're mine. I yeah. see you. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm constantly preserving you. I'm constantly empowering you. Yeah. Where is he doing that at? In the Lord's Supper, where he's bodily present in this mm-hmm. mysterious way. So when Jesus said, I would never leave you nor forsake you, that wasn't just some ancient swaggy way of saying, I got you, bro. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was saying, I'm sending my spirit who's going to yeah. be with you and I'm going to dine with you. You will eat my flesh and mm-hmm. drink my blood in this mysterious way and receive life yeah. afresh. So that was a real statement that he was making that I would never leave you yeah. or forsake you. I'm going to show up regularly mm. for you in particular. And sort of talking about it in that way, I think helps people to see the relevance of it and the sweetness of it, as opposed to threatening or being mm. this looming thing that you're going to make an idol out of bread and wine or water. I get yeah. it. Anything you can do that with anything going to yeah. church, reading your Bible. It's not just bread and wine or water. Yeah. So talking about it in those terms, prayerfully through the Holy Spirit will help people see how it's relevant and practical. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, I want to let you kind of plug what you've got, um, you know, what projects you have coming mm-hmm. up, uh, you know, your latest album, where they can find all your stuff at and uh, you know, what's, what's next or what are you currently uh, producing in, in terms of the edifying for the people? Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. Extra Notes Academy is up and running. So we have the music, we have the podcast, um, we're, we're prepping for our first conference, which will be next year. So we're going to, um, just try to rally together in a few different spots. I'm going to try to do one, um, in each region. So one Mm -hmm. down South, maybe two down South, a couple of Midwest, a couple up North and on the West coast. So we're working on that. Um, so I'm very excited for people to be able to just come. Q&A session, a couple of breakout sessions, and then mm. a couple of preliminary sessions where we talk and dialogue. Because I think social media, sometimes it's just hard to have a good exchange, that back and forth, and to yeah. look people in the eyes and see, oh, he's a human, she's a human, as opposed <laughs> <Yeah>. to <laughs> this thing yeah. online. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that's what we're working on. But the music is out there. Whatever music is streamed, Spotify, Apple Music, the like, make sure you get Word and Water, Christ for You, Extra notes available everywhere. I'm all over social media at Flame 314, TikTok, Flame Extra Notes, mm-hmm. <laughs> so many places, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah. all of it, the hub is extranosacademy.com. Go there, you'll find merchandise. Everything is there. Sweet. Well, Flame, thank you so much for this uh, time. I, I, I really enjoy this conversation. And I think uh, the audience, I think, will be. Uh, hopefully eating this up because it's definitely one that's heavy on my heart to, to talk about and work through and, and to really just stand unapologetically upon and, and shout it to the wind. So yeah, thank you for your time and uh, much appreciate it. I look forward to uh, all of the things that you're working on. Yeah, it's exciting, bro. Thank you. I always love chopping it up with you, man. So thanks for reaching out for round two and uh, yeah, let's keep it going, bro. Sounds good. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.